Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Yes, Lord, we do. We, we praise your name today. Lord Jesus, we lift you up. We exalt you, Lord, would you be enthroned on the praises of your people. Lord, we tell you that you are holy, you are worthy, you are wonderful, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, for the, the sermon today, we have decided, like I said, we're slightly stepping away from our series, looking at Contagious Hope. We're going to be picking that up again next week. Hannah is going to be sharing about how our very lives can preach the good news of Jesus. But for today, we know that so many people have joined in with Emmaus Online who have never experienced wildfires. And so we thought the best thing we could do was give you a little taste of what it's going to be like. And so right now, what we would love to do is show you one of the talks from wildfires last year. Obviously, because of the restrictions, it was all online. Uh, but Tim Hughes, who's one of, the, one of the leaders and founders of the Wildfires Festival, shared an incredibly powerful message that we feel fits in really well with what we've been sensing and talking about here at Emmaus, but also would explain to you a little bit more about the heart of wildfires, about why we gather, about why we gather together to seek the next great awakening of Jesus in our time and in our land. And so uh, I'm going to hand over to Tim. Please take a look at this. In 1804, Thomas Jefferson, the then US president, sent captains Meriwether Lewis and William Clark on an expedition to discover the Northwest Passage, a water route running through America that they hoped would open up the way to enable trade routes to Asia. And after months of hard canoeing, they finally found the source of the great Missouri River. And they thought as they reached the kind of top of this hill that they would have a gentle downward slope towards the Pacific Ocean. But in fact, as they got to the crest of the hill, what they saw as they looked out before them was the Rocky Mountains. They expected a river. And what they found was mountains more perilous, more challenging, more daunting than anything they'd ever seen before. They'd expected to discover this new territory by canoe. That's what they trained for. That's what they were equipped for. That's what they were prepared for. And suddenly they had to shift everything. And they had to learn how to climb the mountains. Everything was unknown. Everything was uncertain. They had to get rid of canoes and paddles and they had to find a new way through a terrain that they were not familiar with. Everything ahead of them was unlike anything behind them. Tonight, I believe at this point in history, as we look ahead at the possibilities before us, we have to recognise that everything has changed. So much has shifted and what we need to step into is unlike what we have previously lived through. And we need to ask that God would equip and prepare us for the things to come, the terrain that lies ahead. This last year has been traumatic, it's been chaotic, it's been bewildering, confusing. Organisations having to pivot and find new ways, new rhythms of working. 
businesses having to shut, jobs being lost, tragically, heartbreakingly, lives being lost. People have struggled in their finances, struggled in their mental health. For a season, our church buildings had to close the first time since the plague. It has been so traumatic. The world has changed. And what lies ahead of us is new terrain that we cannot journey alone and we cannot journey by simply doing the things that we have done in the past. God is calling us to step out in faith and He wants to equip and empower us to step into the new territory before us. As I've been sharing and thinking through uh, tonight's message, I, I found myself returning again and again to Joshua. Joshua, I, I love Joshua and the story of Joshua. And we look back to the story of the Israelites for over 400 years, held as captives, slaves in Egypt and God raises up Moses and this miraculous moment when they're led through the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts and they begin to move towards this promised land that God has vowed to them, this land flowing with milk and honey, a land where this people could begin to lay down roots, could begin to make homes, something that they were longing for. And yet they find themselves for 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, desperate for this promise that God has given them, but just struggling to find their way through. And in this moment, in Joshua 3, we see God early in the morning begins to speak, begins to move. And the instructions are given for the priests to carry the ark, the ark of the covenant representing the very presence of God. And he calls them to step out into the river Jordan. Now the thing separating the people of Israel from entering into the promised land was the river Jordan. It was in flood season, so be about a mile wide, fast flowing river. And they had to get three million Israelites over this water. And humanly speaking, it was impossible. But the message is for the priest in faith to step out into the river. And they begin to do it. It seems like they're going to get swept away. But as they step in, what they don't realise is that upstream, God has gone ahead and God has performed a great miracle and the water is piling up. And so by the time they get further out into the river, the water begins to recede and they find themselves and all of the Israelites passing through to the promised land on dry ground. A great, stunning moment where God intervenes and God performs a miracle. And they begin to step in to their destiny, to the things that God had promised them. But before this moment, before this great miracle happens, we, we, we see in Joshua 3 verse 5, this beautiful verse where Joshua, he gathers the people of Israel in and he says these words, Joshua 3 verse 5, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves, get right before God because tomorrow God is gonna do stunning things before you that you wouldn't have dared to imagine were possible. But you need to consecrate yourselves to get right, to get yourselves prepared, set apart, holy before Him. One of the things I believe God has been doing in and through this pandemic that has been so devastating, but I believe he's been purifying his church. 
He's been sifting us. He's been humbling us. He's been bringing into the light things in our lives that need to change. Idols we've trusted in, patterns of behaviour that are not the way that God would have us to live. I'm sure you've experienced this in your lives, an awareness of the very worst of you coming out particularly in those moments of lockdown and homeschooling for us, you, you realise how impatient I could be and how selfish I could be and how ego-driven I could be, how greedy I could be. It felt like God just exposed all that was within me. You know, often we get so busy that we can hide, we can run away from the things sitting deep within us. But God has been purifying us. I was so struck, pained really by these words written by journalists in The Spectator, commenting on, I guess, celebrity culture in the church. He says this, I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their belief should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much like they want to become more like me. Let that hit you. Ouch. He sees a church that rather than living a radical, set-apart lifestyle that challenges, confronts, that suggests a different way to human flourishing, he sees the church just bending into culture, folding into culture, just doing what culture wants. But the cross-centred, Jesus-focused life should be completely different from the ways of the world, the ways of culture, the ways of society. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do great things. God is purifying His church. Why? Why is God purifying His church? Well, because a period of repentance and consecration will always precede a great move of God. A period of consecration, getting right before God, will always precede a great move of God. I was talking to a friend recently. He was sharing about some of the struggles and the challenges in his life. And he said, it feels like this mountain before me is too high to climb. Maybe you can relate to that. You think about the struggles in your family, maybe at work, an addiction you can't shrug, a fear that you can't overcome, something that is holding you back, maybe this endless pursuit of comfort rather than radically following Jesus Christ. And you look ahead and you feel like those two explorers, you're just surrounded by vast mountains and the mountain feels too high to climb. How do we ascend these mountains? Psalm 24 says this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in His holy place. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Now, I know this mountain in Psalm 24, talking about Mount Zion, where the presence of God dwelt 
But could it be that the challenges, the struggles, the battles in your life ahead of you, God is wanting to use them to draw you closer to Him, that you might experience and know His presence in a new way that you might know the closeness and the love of Jesus Christ that sustains you and strengthens you through everything that you're walking through. Could it be that the mountains and the challenges in front of you, God is using them to purify you so that you might have pure hands and a clean heart? Some of you will know that this psalm was very significant in the Hebridean revival in 1949. Is a time where the church had become impotent, completely irrelevant, marginalised, where the influence and message of the gospel was negligent. And on the Isle of Lewis, two old ladies, Christine and Penny, Peggy Smith, one nearly blind, one battling with arthritis, would just pray, would pray for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done. And they persevered in prayer. And one night they called the church to pray. It's about 10 p.m., evening and a young deacon got up and he began to pray the words from Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And as he said this, he just stopped and something came over him, this holy discontent, this deep frustration. And he said this, it seems to me to be such humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. Why pray? Why dream? Why step out? Unless we're deeply connected and in a right relationship with God, unless we're consecrated, set apart, holy and pure before Him. And as He said this, He lifted His hands and He bellowed out, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And the Spirit of God came upon him and he fell to the floor. And as they continued to pray, God's Spirit was powerfully poured out in that barn. And there was this strong conviction, this sense they all had that any God-sent revival must be related to holiness. Any God-sent revival must be related to holiness. I know we're here, you're watching online, you're gathering with your churches or with your families or friends or sitting in your kitchen watching it and deep within you, I know there's a desire, a dream, we're contending for a great awakening because we know how desperately we need it. But we need to get right before God. Holiness is essential. Holiness is key. And that Hebridean revival was marked so much by repentance. People on their knees, weeping, wailing, desperate to get right with God. And for the church for so many years, we've diminished sin. We, we haven't talked about it. We don't know what to do with it. And we've created this culture where anything goes. But no, God will not tolerate sin. And He's calling us to walk pure lives before Him. Consecrate yourselves. And so in this story, Joshua, the, the people of Israel, they, they would do that. They'd consecrate themselves. There was this ritual where they'd wash their clothes, they'd wash their bodies, symbolically pleading that God would wash them clean. And it's a beautiful picture of, of the people of Israel bringing everything before God, everything of who they are and saying, wash it all, Lord. And this is consecration when we bring all of our lives, where we come before God and say, Lord, nothing is off limits to you. 
no attitude. You know, my money and my resources, my career, my, my attitudes towards sex, my future, it all belongs to you, God. And I want you and your word to shape my living, my choices, my ways, not culture, not society. And if I'm hiding things in my heart that I'm blind to, God, would you shine a light on it? Would you shine a light on it so that I would be aware of it and I could bring it before you that you might wash me clean? And you know what happens when something is consecrated, something that is ordinary, normal, every day becomes noble and holy. When something is um, consecrated, like a building is consecrated, it suddenly becomes sacred. And it's an amazing thought that as we come before God and say, Lord, we're so sorry. We recognise where we've gone wrong. We humble ourselves. We ask that you'd forgive us, consecrate us. He takes us and he makes us holy. And again, the danger is we, we get caught up in like morality, trying to do all of these things. And of course, our choices and our attitudes are really, really important. But there's something of when we get before God and we allow the blood of Jesus to wash us clean, to cover us. And we allow Christ in us to begin to transform us from the inside out. And we have this beautiful hope and truth that when God sees us, He looks and He sees Jesus Christ alive in us. His righteousness making us righteous. His holiness making us holy. And so we need to be a people that are desperate for Jesus to come and fill us, to centre our lives on Jesus, that our mind's attention and our heart's affection is pursuing Jesus Christ. As Søren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher said, purity of heart is to will one thing, wildfires. Would we will one thing above all others, above money, above riches, above power, above success, above health, above it all, Jesus Christ. Would we desire Him? And as we do, as we put Him first, we suddenly become aware of, I don't wanna watch that. I don't wanna spend money on that. I don't wanna do that. God changes us. He consecrates us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Oh my goodness, I so desperately need to see God in my life, in my family, in my context, don't you? Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Can we just take a moment where we are? just to ask that God would consecrate us. I wanna move on in a moment, but before we do, Lord Jesus Christ, would you come now by your Spirit Bring to the light, bring to the surface, bring to our minds things, areas that we know are not right. Lord, we don't wanna live lives held back by sin. We don't wanna live lives compromised. And Lord, we, will, we want You and we trust and we believe that You have made it possible to wash us whiter than snow. And so come now, consecrate us. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has... She who has clean hands and a pure heart. So come, Lord, purify us. Holy fire burn in us. Just take a moment. Wherever you're watching this, don't rush away. God might bring to your mind things that you just need to deal with and it might be you need to speak to someone afterwards, but this is important, serious stuff.
Lord, we've allowed you to become one thing among many others. Where our faith and our involvement in church is kind of like also being at the golf club or dance studio. It's, It's just one thing among others. But Lord, we, we, we say now, it's you all or nothing. You're the champion. You're the desire of our hearts. You're the great pearl of price. You're the one it's worth giving it all up to receive and to know and be known by. Purity of hearts to will one thing. We will you, Lord Jesus. Consecrate us, consecrate us. So the people of Israel, they consecrated themselves. But it was important that they also, they held on to that promise that tomorrow the Lord will do great things amongst you. They were standing in the wilderness when God gave them that promise. They were looking at the promised land, but they couldn't access it. And so it involved faith. They had to hold on to hope to the promises of God, even when their surroundings didn't look particularly hopeful. And Joshua was a leader who led with incredible faith. We see this earlier. When Moses was the leader, at one point he sent out 12 men to go and look at the land, to spy out the land, the promised land. And uh, they came back and everyone gathered around. What's it like? You know, what's going to happen? How, how likely is it that we could take hold of this new land? And 10 of them come back and they just begin to moan and complain and breed fear. The enemies are too big, it's too strong, it's too difficult, it's not going to work. We can't do it. But Caleb and Joshua... They came with a different spirit, a different heart. Yes, we can certainly do it. And we see later in Numbers 13 and 14, again, this fear, this despair seeping through the people of Israel, God's chosen holy people. A bit like maybe some of our churches today where, look at the world, it's too much, we can't do it. How can we ever stand against the tide of culture? And we breed fear and discouragement and hopelessness. But Joshua in that moment, he's pleading. He's pleading with the Israelites. He's saying, we can do it. Come and have faith. Why? Because the Lord is with us. And it goes on and Moses begins to have this conversation with the Lord. And the Lord says to Moses, this is Numbers 14 verses 11. How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I'll make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Now, I don't wanna make too much of the plague reference, although that's interesting, but rather you feel God's sadness. Look at my people, the people of whom I've been faithful to. I rescued them. I've performed miracle water out of a rock, manna from heaven. I've done so much to love them and serve them and lead them and provide for them. And here they are grumbling and complaining, saying it's impossible, we're dead, we're done for. How often can we do the same? How often maybe subtly we've allowed in our hearts despair to rule and to reign? And we need to allow hope to rise. 
We need to allow faith to surge through our veins, to beat in our hearts in the midst of all that we're walking through. I know some watching, you've lost your jobs, you've lost loved ones, you don't know how you're gonna make ends meet, you're battling with ill health, you are feeling on the edge of giving up. But I believe God tonight wants to fill you with His hope that the best is yet to come, that He wants to lead you into new terrain and territory where you can see the promises of God in your life, in your churches, in your cities. We can see a great sovereign move of God like we've never seen before in our lifetime. And God can put that in our hearts. And we need to cultivate hope even in the midst of the wilderness. I was talking to Pete earlier this week and Pete was telling me about birds. I mean, it was like I had an hour with Bill Oddy. It was a beautiful moment. And uh, you look a little bit similar actually, don't you? Um, But Pete was saying that birds sing before the sunrise. And they sing when they're constrained, cold and desperate. And they sing in anticipation of what is to come. And Pete actually has penned these beautiful words on his Instagram page if you want to look at it later. But he wrote this, The sweetest, most startling hallelujah arises in contrary to anything we ever expected. In the darkness preceding the dawn, in the shivers that yearn for a sunrise, the hunger before the feast. Or to quote the prose of another poet, Faith is the bird that feels the light and sings when the dawn is still dark. We need a church that is going to sing in the midst of all the challenges, to sing in anticipation of what is to come. We need a church that will sing because we are hungry and anticipating more of God. We need a church that will sing with a confidence that say, we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Because our God is coming. It was beautiful hearing David and Mary Pitchers talk about some of the things that they saw in the 80s and early 90s. And I'll never forget, 1989, I was 11 years old and attending a conference called New Wine, which they mentioned. And I walked in and there's about a thousand people in this old barn that's usually used for slaughtering cows. It had a strange aroma. Uh, And I'd grown up in church. My dad's a vicar. And so I was used to being in church context, but there was something about this that completely struck me, that here were all these people singing, not about someone. They were singing to someone. I'd never seen so much intimacy and passion and love. It was beautiful. And I remember off the back of the worship, someone got up to preach and then someone invited the Holy Spirit to come and the only way I can describe it was like all of heaven broke loose and people began falling over, people began screaming, people began laughing, people were being healed. There was just absolute mayhem and it terrified me. I stood there shaken to my core, but deep within my core, I thought this is good. And I knew somehow that this was God. And I remember 11 years old going up to the front and saying, pray for me because I wanna receive what God is doing here. I wanna receive this Holy Spirit. 
And I was prayed for and I remember being slain in the Spirit, just lying there, filled with the Spirit and this deep love for Jesus overcame me. It marked me in a way that has never left me. And I, I came home just desperate to spend time with Jesus. I would spend hours in my room worshipping Jesus, not to become a worship leader, not to become a songwriter, but because it was all I could do. I just loved spending time with Jesus. I was just so hungry for Jesus. And it was in those days that God began to impart something in me that I'm now walking out day in, day out. You know, that New Wine Conference, it was just so normal to see people transformed, demons delivered and people, it's not demons delivered, people delivered of demons, people set free, just incredible holy joy sweeping through rooms. I, I remember being in meetings where we, we'd sing this song, I could sing of your love forever for an hour. One line, one line as worship leaders now we're training everyone, you know, keep it moving, keep the songs flowing, but we just couldn't get past that line. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. And God began to birth a new song in His church in that time. At that New Wine Conference in 1989, Martin Smith, who went on to form Delirious and uh, Matt Redmond, two of my great friends, they had radical encounters with Jesus and His Spirit. And these songs began to rise up that travelled all over the world. In America, they called it the British Invasion. And you know, in America, they have way better production, way better singers. The marketing budgets are on a whole nother level. But there was a purity on these songs. There was a sense of God's Spirit on these songs. And it unlocks something in churches and communities that brought about a beautiful way of the Spirit. You know, in those days, we saw God do remarkable things and we're living in the fruit of it. Alpha. Alpha is an example. Alpha, you know, in the early 90s, God radically began to show up at HTB. Queues of people would line up to get in. You know, journalists would come and they'd mock and they'd ridicule what was going on. But God takes the foolish things to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong. And something began to rise up in people like Nikki and Ken, this vision for Alpha. And to this day, nearly 30 million people around the world have been on an Alpha course to ask, who is Jesus? And why would He be the most important person in my life? And we've seen hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people becoming Christians because God's Spirit was poured out in power at HTB in the early 90s, late 80s. You know, church planting. What we've seen over the last years, explosion of church planting. You know, we, we wouldn't have dared dream it were possible back then. You know, our story, five years ago, we opened up this building and we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people coming to Christ. We've seen life and God's favour and blessing and, and we're one small church and there's so many more all throughout the UK doing similar things. The number of church plants that have exploded into life and in this time of a pandemic have been able to step up and stand out and been able to serve the poor and love those in need and being able to keep worshipping God through online and being able to carry on on proclaiming the message of the gospel. It's amazing. It's stunning. It's stunning. Joe Rivers, why don't you come up and just, and the band get ready. But what I believe we saw in that move of God was God renewing His church. There's a beautiful renewal to equip and empower us and inspire us and get us ready to get out there, to make a difference. Because the Spirit of God always comes to propel us out. He never comes just to create feel-good moments. He always comes to enable us to outwork our purposes and call in our lives. 
And what I believe we're waiting for, we're contending for, and I feel vulnerable saying it, but I just know I have to say it to put it out there. I'm waiting and I believe we are gonna see a sovereign move of God that won't simply renew the church. It will transform society. A great awakening that will transform cities and nations. A move of God that will see uh, hundreds, thousands, you know, buildings won't be big enough to contain the people coming. It's crazy, unusual ways of people coming to faith and it will cost us everything, but it's gonna be extraordinary. And we need to hunger and thirst for God, for this sovereign move. Like we're in the wilderness still. How did the church emerge out of lockdown? What does it look like? How do we, we're exhausted, how do we keep going? But actually, from this position of the wilderness, we consecrate ourselves and we, we look ahead. Do you know what? God promised this. God promised this. God promised that tomorrow He'd do great things. And so we step out and step out in faith. I end with this. The Nep estate in West Sussex, three and a half thousand acres of land. And in 2001, the owner just got to the end of himself. They'd cultivated the land. They'd just gone for it, but futile. Nothing was working. They were losing money. They're on the verge of giving up. He thought, do you know what? In that place of despair, I'm going to risk something. I'm going to try something. And they pioneered this project called rewilding. Basic principles, you you let everything grow. Nothing's fenced in, nothing's contained. Animals graze and roam free. And you just allow the ecosystem to do what it naturally wants to do. No kind of obsessing over goals and targets and produce. And what happened was extraordinary. They just didn't touch the land. There was incredible explosion and relief, release of wildlife. Things grew like crazy. Rare, nearly extinct species returned. Nightingales, peregrine falcons, purple emperor, butterflies. All this beautiful wildlife became thriving. To use a loaded phrase we see in Genesis, that the land was teeming with life. And I believe God is wanting to rewild His church. And remember, His church is not buildings. It's not an institution. His church is you. His church is me. And we need to be a people that allow His Spirit to roam free, to lead us where He will lead us, to not worry about what it will look like, to not obsess about growth and goals. You know, I've sat through so many church meetings where it's scripted to the minute. You know exactly what's going to come. I want to be in church meetings where I see people healed, where I see people disrupt meetings, where I see mess and chaos, where I leave that meeting not saying, oh, we sang a great new song at church today. That was wonderful to say. I saw a man or a woman with blind eyes. See, I saw 10 people who walked in who didn't know Jesus leave that building knowing that they were loved and chosen and putting their trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we want to see? Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? And Lord God, can You see the hunger in our hearts? Can You see the longing we have for You? For You, Lord just begin to speak it out, sing it out. And and Lord, we look around, we look at our churches, we look at our businesses, we look at our families, we look at our resources and we think, we haven't got what it takes. We can't do it. I'm just barely getting through life. How how can we be people that step into a promised land? But Lord, You say that Your Spirit will go with us. You take 
that which is weak and you pour out your spirit and you make it strong. You make us fit for purpose. And so spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Fall afresh on us. Give us a new song to sing, a new song before the sunrise, a new song even in the darkness to see and believe that and to anticipate that your kingdom is coming. A sovereign move of God is coming.